last night we tested everything and Perfect. everything Beautiful. worked perfectly. And of course, uh, today, everything is set up exactly the same. All the lights are on and yet uh, half of our microphones don't work <laughs> for some reason. <laughs> we have, so, uh, yeah, so let's start. Let's talk about this conference. Maybe we'll start with that continuity and resilience today in Toronto. First time in three years. Uh -huh. As everyone can hear, we have a packed room. I can barely hear you, which is great. Well, I don't know if you saw me go like this earlier. Yes, I was like, I talk was, louder, talk yes. louder. <laughs> so uh, conference started two hours ago, I think, 8 a.m.? I think so. Somewhere Alex has been here since 4 in the morning. Very excited. Well, uh, up since 4, anyway, yeah. So uh, good crowd, a lot of, lot of sponsors. People are very excited. We're excited to see Kevin Newman kick off keynote speech. Uh, great speech this morning. Great topic. Uh, I'm really excited. This is the first time I've been to this conference in person. I've done the virtual the last three years. I've never been allowed in the country uh, for this conference because of COVID, not for, you know, like nefarious. <laughs> like, oh, why can't you come in? Nothing, nothing like that. It's been, uh, it was exciting to get in last night. It's been excited to be here. Uh, looking forward to talking to some participants. Let's talk about, Alex, we've had a little fun weather. Oh, yes. The last two days. So uh, I left sunny, beautiful Tampa, Florida. It was 79 degrees Fahrenheit. <clears throat> sunny. Uh, I got here last night. It was 23 degrees Fahrenheit and snowing. How about yourself? You had uh, a fun ride in today. Yeah, it was a fun drive in. When I went to bed last night, I live an hour west of Toronto. It uh, was chilly. Um, the odd little flurry, and that was about it. Uh, wake up in the morning, and I'm glad I woke up early because I had to clear the car, scrape ice off the windshield, <laughs> and my snow tires aren't on the car yet. They're not, we don't usually start worrying about that until about this time of year to the beginning, middle, well, beginning of December, let's say, for the next two, three weeks. So it's come early this year. So driving in was a bit of a challenge. Uh, nice and slow, of course. I think the, the worst part was driving in my city, just trying to get to Highway 401, because uh, I live on the, the northeast side of the city and there's a lot of big hills. So uh, without snow tires, you kind of get a little nervous at the first time of the, the year, because you've got to adjust. Uh, but once I got out to the 401, it was okay. Came all the way across, it was slow, because everybody's going slower, and uh, you know, made it here. Excellent. If you're if you're watching us live, uh, hashtag CRTCon on Twitter or LinkedIn. We'll be following those. If you have questions for us, comments, hit us up on that. Uh, we're already behind, so I want to be remiss uh, that I didn't state this hour of our broadcast is brought to us by Stone Road, a firm that aims to reduce suffering by helping helping companies identify, prepare for, respond to, and overcome adverse situations so thank you to our sponsor uh, stone road something that's happening off camera uh, i'll be excited to see as alex knows and some of our audience knows when we broadcast a continuity insights uh, a lot of people just thought we were two guys talking to ourselves <laughs> what the heck are they doing <laughs> uh, we have an on-air sign now it's nice and bright and red it's right here just off camera startling some people but hopefully We'll see if we get any people, uh, unexpected guests, like, popping in. Like last time, what, what's going on over yeah. here? What are what you are guys, guys doing? Selling. We're selling a broadcast. 
Yeah. <laughs> this will be one uh, for, for the books, uh, especially to start off there. You know, <laughs> most, uh, most of the interview ended up be, with Kevin Newman ended up being uh, with James because uh, I had to take care of some technical issues off camera and uh, even to get the camera going again because yeah. it stopped on us. So well, that's that's live. That's live for you. Yeah, hence the graphic, right? No, so. <laughs> so Alex, when I landed uh, in Toronto Pearson Airport last night, my phone was blowing up. Uh, usually, it's my kids or something about my sports team. In this case, it was missiles flying over and into Poland. Uh, it's not the news alerts I typically expect to get when I land. I, so what are your thoughts? I didn't hear Early. anything about that until this morning, believe it or not. Okay. Um, I think because last night I was busy packing all this stuff up and getting ready for today, <clears throat> I wasn't paying attention to any of the news. Uh, I wasn't listening to it. I wasn't paying attention to the phone, nothing. Um, so I heard about it this morning. And the first thing I heard is uh, Russian missiles in Poland. And I went, oh, my God, you know, I, I know what that could mean, you know, and, and if people understand how NATO works, if one comes under fire, they others there. come to the to the aid. And it brought back some uh, memories in school of learning where World War II started. Yeah. And why Britain ended up declaring war is because Poland. And here it was, uh, missiles going into Poland again. With a, oh my goodness, not World War Three. That was the first thing that came to my head. I, I, I can't lie, that was my, my first thought. Uh, since then, uh, they went on to say that it looked like it may have been a Ukrainian missile uh, uh, going awry, trying to... Uh, um, what would you call it? Stop Russian missiles from coming in, but it went Intercept. awry. Yeah. It's a very interesting, if we look at it from a crisis communication standpoint, we could have had the start of World War III due to a misunderstanding. Yeah. And it seems like uh, in a much smaller context, when we look at localized crisis, or particularly crisis that are brand and reputationally damaging, a lot of times they start with a misunderstanding that's not quickly that's corrected. That's true. Because, um, how many times, and I know this has happened to you because we've mentioned before, how many times do misunderstandings start because of somebody's got an assumption, an assumption yes. or an expectation that was never conveyed or understood or proven? You know, I'm assuming James will do X, Y, Z, but I never bring it up with James. Yeah. So how can I blame James? You know, it's my fault, actually. You know, and, and in this instance, too, if those missiles went into Poland and the first reaction was... Counter-strike. Yeah, exactly. We would be. We wouldn't be broadcasting live right now. Well, we might be you know. broadcasting from your house. <laughs> yeah, I'd be broadcasting from my house, telling you what to do, you know, and the latest news things like that. It, it wouldn't be a happy broadcast, that's for sure. Yeah. But yeah, I was just thinking about the context of misunderstanding. And particularly, you know, in this day and age, we use text, we use WhatsApp, we use iChat. It removes tone from conversation. I can send you something 
and you don't know if it's a joke or sarcastic or angry or sad without emojis. And I felt like last night was like the worst case scenario of a text chain uh, once the news came out about what really happened. I was like, this is the most extreme example of a text chain gone bad. Yeah. Yeah, and it, it, you know, it could also be uh, people will jump to automatic conclusions. Yeah. So they uh, give knee-jerk reactions, right? You know, without even understanding context, without under doing any investigation, X happened. That automatically means this. Yeah. And that's not always the case. And that was obviously the case here. Sadly, now, unfortunately, two people, I think it was two people yeah. died in Poland. And that is that is tragic. That is the tragic part of the whole yeah. thing. Um, to take that a step further, if there was a knee-jerk reaction, that two-person could be even worse. Yeah. You know, and, and, and I'm not downplaying the two people. I don't want yeah. anyone to think that at all. Um, you know, there's family and friends that have been impacted by that, sadly. But that that could have turned out to be something even worse. And, and to your point, you know, with with emojis and things like that expressing uh, our our thoughts or our feelings, that's the, the human side that can't be done through, through technology. It can't be done through a phone. You can have use all the emojis you want. It still doesn't come across the way you want it to. Yeah, and I'm thankful that we have that speed of communication now because you think about what happened during the Cuban Missile Crisis. And, you know, I was reading a book about that recently, how communications, you know, the Russian ambassador gave a letter in Russian to his U.S. counterpart. They would then take it to the State Department and translate it and then take that to the president. So they said, you know, the time between the Russian premiers saying something and the United States president getting it could be up to nine hours. And that's a lot. And now you have oh, wow. multiple translations. So there was a lot of opportunity for misunderstanding. And there. translators will translate based on what their understanding they're, they're is too. Yeah, Kevin talked earlier about all journalists have bias and personal bias and you have to admit that i would think with a translator same thing where i'm from in north america or my part of the country a word or a phrase is going to mean something slightly different i translate it then give it to you then you translate it internally uh it's just it's really amazing to me spending some time you know, reading a couple of books recently that actually the Cuban Missile Crisis did not escalate further because it seemed like there was so many, from a crisis management standpoint, if we were to do an AAR of that, it was terrible. Like almost every single thing that could go wrong did go wrong. Really? I, to be honest, I don't know a lot about the, crisis, the uh, Cuban Missile Crisis. Um, not because it was before my time or I was a kid. Um, it, it just never really registered a lot um, to, to me as a major crisis, even though I know it was. Um, maybe because I was, at the time, I was in the UK, so it didn't yeah. get the coverage that obviously would get in North America. Yeah. Because, you know. uh, so a great example of a misunderstanding there that actually worked in everyone's favor. Uh, the U.S. networks announced that the, the president, President Kennedy, was going to speak. And the Russians assumed, assumed that he was going to give a speech 
watching troops into Cuba and starting a war. So they decided to back down. But in reality, the networks were just going to replay a speech that President Kennedy had given two days earlier. So you have this huge misunderstanding that thankfully worked not positively. It, it almost came to like a uh, came across as a bluff. Yes, we'll call but you a bluff, but it intended. wasn't even that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I read I've read two books about it recently because I've been looking at it through the lens of our profession and from crisis management. You're like, well, what's the what's the worst case of crisis management? What's the worst outcome? This could have been a world war. This could have been a nuclear war. Yeah. So it's been interesting. That's why they now have because of the Cuban Missile Crisis, there is that dedicated phone line now between the red, between, the red phone the, yeah it's a literal red phone between the president and at the time the premier of the soviet union now i wonder if that's uh also going to come into play with china would would they have a phone now a direct line to uh Ch the chinese premier president? i would hope so i would hope that Everyone with missiles has direct lines to everyone else. Yeah, I know. What is it? Eight, nine countries now? Nine, yeah, nine, I believe. So. Eight or nine? Yeah. Because I don't know if it's proven yet or not, but North Korea seems to be in that league now. So, unfortunately. So let's, let's go back. Let's look at Poland and Russia, because we've talked about Russia and Ukraine over our, our podcast for a couple of months from the lens of business continuity, from resilience. It feels like uh, you know, Russia's retreating in some areas. Ukraine is doing well in other areas. But I don't see this cooling off. Uh, I think Russia will act in desperation if they, they start to lose. And for our audience who has you know, interest, business interest, family interest, personal interest in Europe, I think there's still that that threat of things escalating. I, I think I think it'll get worse before it gets better. Um, you know, we saw when Iraq was uh, uh, retreating from Kuwait, they set everything in their their path alight. You know, just to cause more damage. Yeah. If Russia does that in Ukraine, they're going to set fields of fire. Um, hopefully, at this time of year, that won't happen because it will be cooler. So it may, may not be an issue, but they could still destroy dams, bridges, infrastructure, and just you know, really make it tough for Ukraine to get back on its feet. So that in a way, they're saving face. You know, we, we create all this damage, you know, and of course you get the political spin. Well, we wanted to leave. You know, you, you, you get that. And I think you, know, you mentioned families. I do know, maybe you do too. I do know some people who have family that in Ukraine and that have Ukrainian roots and they're scared and they're upset of seeing their country destroyed. Yes. You know, um, and what happens now? What, what if Russia does, I don't want to say retreat because I don't think they're going to use that word, but um, leaves, you know, and say, okay, we've proven our point. So, yeah, you know, and, and do it that way. But what, what's going to happen in their wake when they're gone and all this devastation is left there? Poor Ukraine, the citizen, the businesses, the infrastructure. How are we going to get that up and running again? Because now you get all the other politics coming into play. You get NATO uh, 
you know, wanting to, to bring you Ukraine in or the EU bringing Ukraine in and a bunch of other things, which is some of the triggers that started, apparently, started the whole thing uh, in the beginning. So it's, it's really going to be a tough balancing act, I think, in the end. Yeah, it's going to be very interesting, like you said, um, if other countries step in to rebuild, which was some of the friction, proximity to Russia, according to Vladimir Putin in the first place, how do we as a global society come in and help and rebuild without, without escalating tensions? And, you know, another thing that we've spoken about that is still a realistic risk to me is... Uh, Putin has threatened to cut off oil to Europe. We are now in the winter months. That would be much more, even more impactful. Certainly, you cut off oil at any time of shutting down industry. You cut off or, or lessen oil supply in the winter. You are affecting heating at people's homes. Uh, there's some life safety things that could still still happen. And I wonder if our, our, our continuity and resilience professionals who are globally based, maybe not so much based in Europe. I feel like the people I speak with in Europe have a very good handle on the risk here. But when I speak to people who have global operations, maybe North American based uh, or, or certain parts of Asia based, don't really fully grasp, here's how quickly this could become uh, a problem for your organization. Uh, I agree with you. I think over here, when we think of uh, something you know, getting oil cut off, it's like, well, I'll just go to another supplier. We, we're, we're not thinking that, like Europeans, they're getting a big chunk of their natural gas or heating oil from one supplier. And that's a much bigger uh, thing to comprehend because you can fit Europe into North America. Yes. So we don't think the same way over here. And Esso or some of the gas stations, Petrocan, they run out of oil or gas. Fine, I'll just go to Exxon or whoever, Shell, you know, somebody else. Over there, you can't do that as easily. You can't do the same thing. You can't just go from one to the other. You, you have to keep going. And we're actually recording live right now. We're on the air. <laughs> Do you want to? Do you want to share? Your do you want to share? Because we're audience? we're recording live right now, and they can't hear you, and we're you're broadcasting talking. Broadcasting live, yeah. So, yeah. It's up to you. you. It's up to you if you want to, to talk. All okay. Right. <laughs> <laughs> hey, it wasn't wild. <laughs> all right. All so right. you uh, said you said earlier that people would stop by and see if anyone would uh, ask if what was going on. Yeah, so as you can see, we had uh, someone off camera, a conference attendee wanted to share a story with us. They did not want to share it on camera. No, so. Uh, but they wanted to share it with Alex and I, so I guess we'll, we'll just keep that story to ourselves. I guess so. <laughs> so where were we? We were talking about. Uh, we I think were talking about oil, oil in Europe. Oh, yes. And uh, single source supplier. Yeah. See, in, in Canada, I know in the U.S., we, the U.S., you buy some of our oil, we send our oil other places. We've also, over here too, uh, we're also uh, starting to look at other ways of getting fuel, like wind and solar and things like that, to get away from some of the single sources. Because oil won't last forever. You know, I, I, I know some areas of Canada, well, around the world, that produce it. 
think it will, and it won't. So we, we need renewable. Otherwise, we end up with climate change issues, which then give us climate change issues we need to think about. So there's this vicious cycle. But staying on subject with oil, um, I lost what I was going to say. But I did. Oh, I thought of something else, though. I thought of something else. Um, I, I'm sure you have to flown over Europe quite a few times, and when you're landing in the UK, Denmark, uh, Norway, Sweden, some of these countries, uh, there's a lot of windmills. I don't know if you've seen them, but and I mean a huge amount of windmills. You just see them everywhere, and I think maybe over here that's what we need to do, and maybe that will help get a get some of those countries in Europe anyway, away from some of the dependency on oil, but it's not gonna happen overnight. And I think they have to, uh, and I think this is what they're doing is rationing too. You know, instead of having your house at 22 degrees, they're saying, you know, put it down to 20 degrees or 19 degrees and wear a hoodie or a jacket, you know, a sweater inside, you know, so that your house might be cooler, but you'll still be warm to ration out and make what they do have last longer. Yeah, that's very interesting. Um, I'm actually surprised, you know, there were two OPEC oil crises in the 1970s. And as a result of that, in the late 70s and the 1980s, in the United States, they started designing smaller, more fuel efficient cars, which we've kind of given up on. I'm an American, so I can say that. But I always <laughs> thought it was interesting that we, did, we decided, all right, we don't want to be dependent on a foreign oil for our cars. So we're gonna make different types of cars. But then there wasn't the same level of investment in not being reliant on that one source of energy as well. Uh, in in our, our response was let's make, let's make smaller cars, not let's invest in alternative energy. Well, and that's interesting because that now I, Gotta keep an eye on the time here. Um, thinking of electric cars. Well, okay, well, that's great. Your electric cars, you're not going to be using fuels, but then where's the electricity coming from that powers them? You know, are you going to build more windmills? Yes. Solar power? Apparently, where's that coming from? Have a fleet of windmills at your house. <laughs> but it, you know, it, the more electric cars are, the more their power is coming off the grid. Well, what's powering the grid? Yes. And, you know, so it, it's great that we're, we're looking at electric cars. It's great that we'll get hopefully moving away from fossil fuels. But you still need to look at some of the other pieces of it. You can't just go from one extreme to the other because now you'll have all these electric cars that you can't uh, charge. There's no charging stations. The infrastructure's not there. And if the infrastructure is put in there, there isn't the energy to 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 uh, charge the cars. And I think we saw that in some of the Western United States this summer, there were rolling brownouts and blackouts and people could not charge their electric cars mm -hmm. because they weren't able to plug them in. And so then they couldn't drive their cars. Yeah, so, and, and in North America, that's a big deal. Yes, it you certainly know, is. I know people, you know, there's a grocery store or a corner store a block, block and a half away from my house and people will still get in their car and go, you know. Meanwhile, I don't know why, but when I was a kid, for some reason, the corner store was always four or five blocks and I had to walk. <laughs> I, I had to ride my bike. 
Yeah, walk I drive my bike everywhere. Exactly. <coughs> Excuse me. Well, well, it's uh, been quite busy here. Um, it's been very busy. There are a lot of people very excited. There's some orange frisbees going around. I'm going to try and grab one so our audience can see them. I saw uh, them. Yes. Everyone's carrying yeah, a frisbee. There's Hopefully one, there's some there's, left. There's one hiding under that table. <laughs> well, we'll have to go, we go snag that. You might have to grab one during lunch. Unfortunately, we don't have uh, gifts for our speakers this time. We do uh, not. I had too much to, to bring uh, yes. today. So. Uh, my bags were definitely inspected by customs. I had that little slip in my bag because of all the electronic gear I had. So I'm thankful they didn't take any of it or my tea. Didn't take my tea or my cough drops. So. Oh, that's good. Yeah, because I forgot all of that. <laughs> I was too busy this morning and last night trying to fit everything into one big lockable case. So um, didn't get to that. But I, I, I'm, I'm curious. There's a lot of people here. Oh, there's Regina Phelps over there. She'll be joining us, I think, tomorrow. If uh, I recall, yes. Regina Phelps. Yeah, I was going to say, I know at some point coming up, we need to take a break. We've got some technical issues yeah, to I resolve. About four or five minutes, we'll be taking a, uh, our first break. Okay. Um, and then we'll check in. Uh, we'll uh, see if uh, we can get our microphones to work properly. At least we've got one that works. We have a microphone. Yeah. Do we have speakers? Uh, speakers are right here. They were working. Okay, we, we heard Voice America uh, what were they telling? They were telling us they couldn't hear us. They were telling <laughs> us uh, the guys have been amazing putting up with us. Uh, coming up next hour, we have a remote guest to add further stress to our business continuity and resilience. If you can join us uh, at 11 o'clock, we are going to have uh, Mr. Francis Raveno with one of our sponsors, Basecamp Connect. Looking forward to doing a tri-party Zoom with a live broadcast in an exhibit hall. What could possibly go wrong? <laughs> Do you want the whole list or the top 10? Uh, top 10. <laughs> Hopefully that works. Um, it will be good. We're really thankful to have Basecamp uh, join us. And uh, we'll get that set up and we'll talk, talk about what they do and what they're aiming to do and how they can help everybody who's listening and watching. And uh, we'll uh, talk to, to others soon. And here comes Regina Phelps off camera. She's making faces at us. As she should. So. <laughs> As she should. We'll get her back tomorrow. Yep. I believe you're joining us tomorrow, right? Yes. Tomorrow? Yeah. <laughs> and now she runs away. <laughs> Very smart. So I'm looking forward to chatting with Regina because uh, I'm sure many of you know I talk with Regina every month. Yeah. Um, the third Thursday, I believe it is, of every month. Just as I talk with James every is it every third, every second Wednesday or something. It goes every Tuesday. second Wednesday, Tuesday we record it yes. airs Wednesday. But this week in business continuity. So. Yep. And as I've mentioned, my my children still want to know why we call it this week in business continuity. But we record once a month. But hey, at least they're Cause, watching. Because we're talking about things that happened that week. There, I, I love it. Now I have an answer. There we go. I just made that up. <laughs> Hopefully it works. What do you think? We should take our break? So maybe I think we, we, should, should, uh, we should take our break. We will uh, fix some equipment. Try to. Try to. Or maybe break some more. And uh, <laughs> we'll see everyone at the top of the hour. So thanks very much. We'll see you very shortly.